are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. Romans 16, 17 through 27. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of the naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Timothy, my co-worker, sends his greetings to you, as do Lucius, Jason, and Sosipater, my fellow Jews. I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church here enjoy, sends you his greetings. Erastus, who is the city's director of public works, and our brother Cardus, send you their greetings Now to him who is able to establish you in accordance with my gospel, the message I proclaim about Jesus Christ in keeping with the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, Heather, for reading Scripture for us. With that, we have heard the closing lines of the book of Romans. After 20 weeks in this New Testament letter, 10 which were in the first part of the year when snow was still on the ground, and now here the last 10 weeks as we've been here in the fall, we finish this grand letter and epistle in the Bible. And I have hoped and prayed that Romans would just knock our socks off in ways that we wouldn't expect. It's thick reading, a lot of it. And yet I pray that it has just been so transformative for us. We know that all Scripture is God-breathed and is certainly not ranked by order of inspiration, we might say. And yet we recognize the unique contribution that each part of Scripture plays in the whole. And so that's why, for instance, this summer we translated the Gospel of Mark for the Timbaro people. And it's why we recognize that in Romans, we have something particularly significant. It is the scripture that Augustine read out in the garden under the tree that brought him to faith. Augustine being probably outside the Bible, the most important theologian in the history of the church. It's the book that Martin Luther called the bread of the soul. So we arrive and enjoy bagels And Martin Luther said, yes, this is our daily bread. And when John Calvin studied Romans, he said that if we understand this book, then we have an open door to all the treasures of Scripture. So I hope you return to Romans again and again over the years. Make sure that it's in your Bible reading plan somewhere in the year. For us, for now, we are finishing our study and we'll return to it just once more next week when we have a Thanksgiving text that I saved out of Romans chapter 11, 
Paul's doxology. But as we move toward Advent and we read these closing lines today, we're saying a fond farewell to this book that has brought us through much of 2021. I ask the question, what is a meaningful goodbye that has been special for you over the years? And what I was thinking of was in the Dixon family growing up, when we would go to western Minnesota and we would visit my grandparents, Harlan and Margaret, and it would be time to pack up and go, we'd all pile into the car, my sister and I in the back seat, my parents in the front, and grandpa and grandma would be out front waving goodbye, and they would wave with three fingers that stood for, I love you. And then we would wave back with three fingers. And my dad, as we would pull away, would honk the horn three times, I love you. And this tradition, this meaningful goodbye, has stayed with our family. And so now it's my own kids who are in the back seat, or back seats, plural, I should say. (laughs) And it's my own parents who are now grandpa and grandma. So in the closing lines of this book, Paul is saying a fond farewell. He's saying goodbye to the Romans as he closes his letter. He's written from the city of Corinth, and he is now leaving them fondly in this letter with some parting words of wisdom. And as we look at the text now, you can see that it pretty easily divides into three sections. And since pastors apparently enjoy alliteration, I've given each one a W. So here's our outline this morning. Three W's, warnings, well wishes, and then the third section is the wisdom of God. Warnings, well wishes, and the wisdom of God. So let's begin with Paul's warnings. I find that warnings often get a bad rap. You know, nobody really wants to get a warning. You drive your car and the warning light comes on, that's never a good thing. Or if you're in sports, we know there are warnings in sports. If any of you played soccer, you know, if you get a yellow card, that's a warning. You get one more, you're out of the game. In school or at home, if we step out of line, we might get a warning from the teacher or our parents. Warnings in general are not something that are fun to get. And yet the more we think about it, we also know there are warnings that we wouldn't want to live without. The smoke detectors in your house, for one. Or how about fraud detection at the bank and you get the notification? Can you verify that you made such and such a purchase in this location? Or how about the neighbor who tells you, hey, there's been this suspicious looking vehicle that's been driving around. I just wanted you to be aware. They're really good warnings when we think about it. Warnings that keep us from danger, that keep us safe. And you know, even that first category, the irritating ones, are also meant to keep us safe or functioning well in community. And so Paul gives a word of warning to the Romans as he closes this letter. And he says in verse 17, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. So what's Paul's warning? He says, watch out. Watch out for those who cause division. And we remember after 20 weeks now, as we look back at Romans, Paul's written at length about unity in the church. That this is a place where we got to stick together. The church is a family. And we all come from different backgrounds and experiences in life. But here in the church and around the world, we recognize that God redeems us at the cross. 
and then calls us into his family as brothers and sisters in Christ. And in the context of the early church where Paul is writing to, one of the clearest dividing lines among their fellowship was that between Jews and Gentile believers. And so much of Romans was centered on bridging this divide and fostering unity in the church. And Paul is returning to this once more as he closes, and he says, watch out for those who would divide this and put up obstacles. And then notice how he further defines them. He says, they are contrary to the teaching you have learned. In other words, they are contrary to sound biblical teaching. The plain teaching of God's word. And my brothers and sisters, 2,000 years later as we think about this, this is of course a warning for us still today to heed from Paul. Because if we don't tend to our doctrine, which is just a big word that means what the Bible says is true, then there are all kinds of ideas that will knock at the door and seek to divide the church. And sometimes in our context, in our world, we can run into this notion that there are really two kinds of Christians. There's the loving, accepting kind that are all about unity. And the other side of this, there are those who are all about the Bible and will just steamroll over people. But I want to tell you this morning that that is a false choice. It is certainly not what we see presented in God's Word. Look carefully at this passage and how it connects these two so clearly. Unity in the church, brotherly love, actually springs from the purity of our doctrine. You follow that? Right in the passage. Unity in the church, our affection and love for others, springs from the purity of its doctrine. So if we're to be the one family in Christ here, we recognize we have to be anchored here. That's how that will work. And this is a reality that connects us not just here at the Y Church, but to the other churches in our city, to this body of believers, the global church to which we belong. And we might have little differences about worship style or mode of baptism or church governance or 15, 20 other different things but they are all secondary to our fellowship. What binds us together in Elk River and with the church around the world is the clear teaching of Scripture and a commitment to one another. And when churches or individuals or pastors or leaders deviate from sound doctrine, Paul is saying, watch out. Paul says in verse 17, keep away from them. Isn't that interesting? Notice the nuance that brings. It means that there are, in fact, things that we must separate from or guard against in order to preserve true unity. Paul says, keep away from the folks who will subvert the truth and cause division. He says they're not serving Jesus, actually. They're serving their own appetites. There's another agenda at play, and it is not the things of Christ. Unless we think this is always easy to spot, you know, Paul wouldn't have to say watch out and draw attention to it if it were. Unless we think that it's always easy to spot and somebody is obviously off base or totally unsympathetic, Paul says think again. Second half of 18, he says, by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. And I have noted over the years that unbiblical ideas do not usually sound ugly. 
They're often packaged in just the right way, and it sounds so compelling. And how could we find something disagreeable about so-and-so? You know, he's such a nice guy, or she's such a caring person. And there's this good intention to not be judgmental, and yet we risk compromising the truth. So my friends, we should be very clear about this this morning, that you do not have to choose between grace and truth. You don't have to choose between the two. We can be gracious and kind and generous to all, without exception, and yet crystal clear about the truth of God's word. Those things are not mutually exclusive. They never should be in Scripture. Verse 19, Paul says to the Romans, I rejoice in your obedience, but listen to this. He says, I want you to be wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Isn't that a good warning? When you think about your kids or grandkids or the kids that you minister to at school, in education, you wish this and pray this over kids, that they will gravitate toward what is good and steer clear of the junk that is out there. I don't know if you heard about this study that was released this fall. It was fascinating and very sobering to read about. The study showed that Instagram, in particular Instagram, makes body image issues worse for one in three teenage girls. You follow that? The research. By the way, this was internal research conducted by Facebook and then released. Instagram makes body issues worse for one in three teenage girls. Now, are we saying that Instagram is categorically bad? No. But this is something that should grab our attention. Let me quote to you from the research. The pressure to look perfect, the tendency to share only the most positive and polished parts of a person's life, and its addictive nature can send teens spiraling toward eating disorders, an unhealthy sense of their own bodies, and depression. That's just one example I share with you this morning to say there is a lot of garbage that's out there that can trip us up. And as I say this, I hope you hear my heart in it. I'm not up here trying to be a prude or say that we as Christians should just retreat into some Christian bubble. But we recognize by Paul's admonition, all of us, adults, seniors, students, I can make a conscious choice by God's help to be innocent about what is evil. I don't need to hear it all or see it all or read it all, or be exposed to it all. I know that it's out there. I don't need to see it firsthand. But rather, I am going to choose to spend my time in what is good. Whatever is true, Paul says in another part of Scripture, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, he says if anything is excellent or praiseworthy in Philippians 4, think about these things. That's where I'm going to spend my time. So these are good warnings from Paul. And then he gives a promise. Look at verse 20 with me if you have it in front of you. This is a bold statement. Esther and I were talking about this on the way in this morning in the car. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The Bible's clear that there is an enemy of your soul who is out to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan, a fallen angel, if you know the background from Scripture, 
has been the adversary of God and his people since the Garden of Eden and the book of Job, which figures very early in the story. The existence of evil, too, even as culturally 21st century America, you know, does Satan exist? If you did a public poll, the percentages probably be under 50%. But the existence of evil is undeniable, isn't it? And at times in your life, you have perhaps felt this very personally. We know this from our own experience, that we are, in fact, not just globally or culturally, but personally, I'm in a spiritual battle. And you have maybe felt this very intensely and acutely at times of your life. But what a victorious promise that Paul gives us. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And that takes us to the second section. Number two is well wishes. And we're not going to spend as long on this section this morning because we studied last week all those greetings in the earlier part of the chapter. And the fun thing, though, about this shorter list is that we see this little shout-out from the secretary who is taking down this letter. He's typing it up, in a sense. So look at verse 22. He says, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. And it's a fun little glimpse into how letters were written in the first century. The writer, in this case Paul, would dictate the letter while a scribe would be seated and write it all down as it's dictated. So I want you to picture how Romans was written, that Paul is maybe kind of slowly pacing a living room that's warmly lit with firelight and lamps. And there's Tertius, the secretary, the scribe, who's at the desk with pen and papyrus. And as Paul greets the Romans from the believers in Corinth, I just imagine Tertius kind of like seeing his little spot and saying, oh, could I throw in a little little hello? And that's what he does here. Tertius gets to say his own hello. And then the other well wishes in this section come from Timothy. We'll recognize that name. That's the Timothy from the New Testament. Paul mentors him, and later he pastors the church in Ephesus. And then there's Lucius, Jason, Sisypiter, all Jewish believers, and then some of the Gentiles, Gaius, Erastus. And there we have this little commentary that he's the public works director for the city. And if you look at the Greek word there, it means he was the treasurer. He was the treasurer of the city of Corinth. And I recognize this morning too, just as we have Chelsea with us, for instance, that some of you work in government for our city or for the county or for the state. And we praise God for the ministry that he has called you to in government, in public service, just like Erastus. And then last but not least, we should probably not forget his brother, Quartus, his Latin name, Quartus. And I love this affection for these little-known Bible characters that we run into only once in all of Scripture. And I just imagine someday being in heaven and kind of walking around and, like, meeting new people. And this one guy will be like, hey, Romans 16.23, I'm Quartus. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe that's just me, but I look forward to the day. I got my picture once in Germany's most well-known tabloid. It's a long story how that happened, but I got a lot of mileage of that over the years. So we asked last Sunday, with all those greetings, we said, you know, is there any application for us in these old greetings? And these funny Bible names, Heather and I, our scripture reader Heather, we jumped on the phone. I thought it was 
what did I say? Sassipater. So it's not Sassipater. Heather was right. It is Sassipater. And yet, what do we have from these things? Is there anything applicable in these weird Bible names and these greetings? And the answer last week was a resounding yes. On Wednesday night, in fact, our high school students, we did that assignment that I suggested to you last week. Do you remember what it was? All those Bible names last week, 26 names. And I said, you know, you could come up this week with 26 greetings of people who have spiritually impacted your life. And so Wednesday night we did that. We put up these sheets of paper up in Studio B upstairs with high school, middle schools down here. And we filled up the list. 26 names of people who have impacted us spiritually. And some of your names were up there on the wall. It was beautiful to see. The church is indeed a family. And we see how God uses each of us to encourage others in their walk with Christ. With that, let's go to the last section, the final verses of Romans. Number three, words of wisdom. I do not know what inspired Paul McCartney to whisper words of wisdom, but here we see the Apostle Paul both open and close with wisdom. He had said, remember where we were in section one? To be wise about what is good, as he gave us that warning, and now he returns to it again in praise to the only wise God. This final section is what we'd call a doxology. It's a word of praise to God. And Paul begins it beautifully by saying, verse 25, Now to him who is able to establish you. Did you know that God establishes you? Isn't that a wonderful thought? I've planted a lot of like little bare root saplings and baby trees in our yard over the years. And every time you just hope that it's going to make it, that the gophers won't find it first or the deer, you know, nibble down the top. Isn't it amazing to think that like a tree establishes roots and is planted in the ground, that God desires to establish you, that your roots would be established, that you would grow. And we recognize across this church family that some of you were established many years ago in faith. And you have grown and matured over the years as by God's grace, your roots are deep. Others of us recognize we're younger plants and our start was maybe not so long ago. We're coming along, we're growing and maturing in our faith, maybe even through 20 weeks in Romans. We have seen that happening. And then there's some of us who might be asking ourselves this morning, in fact, this verse prompts the question, am I established? Have I looked for God to establish me, or have I been looking for something else to do that? There's only one, the Bible says, who is able to establish you. And you can look for it till you're blue in the face. But there is only one who will establish you, and that is your creator and your redeemer. He knows. He plants you. And you can ask him even today, Lord, I feel like I'm just starting to figure out what this could even mean, but would you establish me? Would you lead me? And in the end, we get to praise him for it, don't we? That's where this goes. Paul realizes that is the only thing that's left to say. Praise God, I have been established by him. 
And then we have these clauses that we're not going to go into for lack of time this morning, but they're all about the nature of that establishing. Basically saying, in summary to Romans, and we could have thought this whole story of redemption was about the people of Israel, and yet God has done what he said he would always do in the Old Testament. He didn't come just for Israel, but he came even for me. He came for all of us. And so I remember that four generations ago, somebody climbed a mountainside in Norway and told Berent Didrikson, which became Dixon, about Jesus Christ, who loves him and gave his life for him. And the trajectory of my family has not ever been the same since. Even for us, a bunch of wild Vikings up in the north, God came for me. He came for you. And we have been established by God through the power of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And I want you to look now to how this all connects to the last line. The very last line of Romans. Our establishing, the establishing of God's family, leads to his glory. That's where Paul leaves this letter. Verse 27. To the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. A group of our students the past two days were down in Eden Prairie for a student apologetics conference. Apologetics studies the kind of the hard and important questions of how do I know what I believe is true? How can I be assured that the Bible is true and accurate? I was wrestling with those questions myself in high school when I came across these four questions that all of us have to ask and answer. Where do I come from? What is my purpose? What's the difference between right and wrong? And where am I going? Origin, purpose, meaning, and destiny. And there's nothing on earth that answers those questions the way that Jesus Christ has done. And Paul finishes Romans by telling us, telling you, what your purpose is. As you and I ask the question, whether you're 16 or 60, what am I here for? What is my purpose? Paul said it is to bring glory to God. It is to be in relationship with your Heavenly Father. What did Ashley say? That he would smile on you. That's what it's about. And so I'm asking you this morning, as we close Romans, if you have reached this conclusion yet, and maybe you have, but maybe you also need this reminder this morning, there can be other things that cloud the way and cause us to forget. Challenges or heartaches of life that can be overwhelming. And how good it is to know that we have a God who loves us and rescues us and tends to every moment of our life. William Tyndale, to bring it back to week one of Romans, William Tyndale lost his life for the gospel. He was the first person to translate the Bible into English so that you and I could read it in our own language. And I want to share with you to close what William Tyndale said after reading Romans. In a sense, writing to us, he said, Now go to, reader, And according to the order of Paul's writing, even so do thou.
20 weeks in Romans. Now you get to take it from here. Be established in it. And to live the life that God has called you to. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord, across this church family that you have created, we bow our heads before you, Lord, as we close this book. And we ask that, Lord, for years to come, there would be much fruit out of our study of Romans. Lord, you have opened this door for us to walk through that we might know the treasures of your word. And I pray that they would be so sweet to us, so profound, so life-transforming, that some of us will be in a spot 10, 20, 30 years from now, we'll look back on our life, Lord, and we could have never predicted what you will have done. I pray, Lord, that you would establish us, that you would grow deep roots, and that our whole life would be a sacrifice of praise to you. Lord, we love you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.